Merry Christmas, Brookside. I love Christmas time. No Merry Christmas, by the way. You guys are bored of it already. You're bored. I get it. You know why? It's because the people started listening to Christmas music in November. And we're over it already. No, it's not. Uh, kids. Oh, yes. Kids. Off to Sunday school. Have a great time. Kids church. Be good to your teachers today. They love you. <laughs> I don't know why, but I had this fear that they might really need it today. I don't know. Uh, love Christmas. I do. Um, I love the lights. I love, uh, I love the, uh, the presents, and I love, uh, I don't particularly like Christmas music as, uh, with the sort of the, you know, the pop music, whatever, but I love Christmas carols. Like, uh, even as we were singing those songs, the, the majesty of some of those lines, it always gets me. Um, but I also love the darkness of Christmas, that it sits just after the shortest day of the year. For those of you who are getting in despair, by the way, like the days keep getting shorter and shorter, the 21st, we're almost there, just three weeks, and then they'll start getting longer again, and we'll be all right. It'll be cold, but the days will get longer. And uh, it's Christmas, and I love the darkness of a little baby in a, in a manger, cow trough with its family and who knows uh, the, the shepherds uh, around about. Um, although my picture has the wise men in it, but they probably weren't even there that night. Probably got there later. You guys know what it's about. This picture of a one who is born. And in order, in order to really pay it respect, we have to sort of pull the camera lens back. And so I want to let you know actually where we're going for a while now. Um, a little bit ago, we, we did six weeks on the book of Ephesians. And, and as a church, if you've been going to Brookside, you've probably figured this out. We highly, highly favor preaching a passage at a time. We don't like the deal where I picked this little verse here and that little verse there, and, and I made them say what I want. And sometimes if, if the uh, translation didn't work right, then I'll go to a different translation to make what I say what I want until I finally manufacture the Bible into saying what I wanted it to say. We really, really do our very best to allow you to see what it says. But if we're going to preach a whole book, we're stuck with just a couple of them that are short enough to do. You know, you got Galatians, Ephesians, maybe 1 John, those five chapter ones where you can wrap it up. But if we want to teach Jesus's life that way, now you got the Gospel of Luke, that's 24 chapters long. And some of those, boy, you're going to have to split them up. We could spend the next two years trying to cover that book, trying to really get in depth. And by the time we were done, you, you might not even like that Luke's in the Bible anymore. Uh, you know what I mean? And, and so I actually sat down with some of my friends who teach and, and asked, how do we do this? And, and uh, this is the idea, and I'm, and I'm excited about it, and I hope you enjoy it as we go. Luke, as a book, has five major sections, kind of an introduction where you get your, you know, what is it, nine pound, eight pound, eight ounce Jesus, baby Jesus in the manger, whatever, okay, right? You got, you got the opening, for unto us a child is born. And then he skips up to the ministry of Jesus, which uh, the first section is up in his home area called Galilee, which is in northern Israel. And it talks a lot about how Jesus, it basically asks the question, who is he? It gives you that chance in Luke to say, who, who is this man, right? And then it says that Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. And then there's another middle section where it's sort of the journey from Galilee down to Jerusalem some of it in Samaria and other places. And in that section, the, the narrative turns to asking, what does it mean to be one of his followers, a disciple, right? And then, and then we get to Jerusalem. 
And then we have the, uh, I said five, but it really, it's kind of four because there's the end. There's the week in Jerusalem where all the crazy stuff happens and he's crucified and then the end section is, is the resurrection. So that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna actually, we're, for Christmas season, we're gonna explore the opening of Luke and then we'll cover some stuff for a few weeks and then across the spring, we're going to take major sections of Luke and take pieces of it to give us a chance to see it. And hopefully by, by the time you get to Easter, you'll feel like, yeah, I've seen that book. Luke, I got, I got a handle on that. Without, you know, 48 weeks and you hating Luke by the end of it. So we'll see how it goes. But this is Christmas and we're gonna see this opening passage. So let's, let's dive in, let's look. This is a, a very familiar passage, I hope, to many of you because it's part of that, that Christmas story. Uh, it's not Luke 2, we'll get there. Uh, Luke 2 is the Linus one. You know, we got, we got the little tree that didn't work and then they decorated it and suddenly it, it's a big tree and who knows how because it's cartoon magic. And then Linus, in the days of Caesar Augustus, there went out a decree and we got to do it in King James. You guys all with me? You guys know the penis one? Or is this too old now? Who here's seen the Charlie Bound Christmas? Come on now, all right. Um, this is the passage before it. Um, this is from the first chapter of Luke. And what's happened so far is that uh, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, his uh, birth was prophesied. And then, and then his mother, Elizabeth, who is John the Baptist's mother, is pregnant. And it says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. And I'll stop here for a moment. The sixth month. There's the question of what it's referring to. Was it the sixth month of the year? Or was it the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy? And the reason that might be important is uh, the festival where uh, John the Baptist's death was prophesied happened in the, in the fall, in right around August, September. And so if it was the six months of the pregnancy, and then here's Mary getting her prophecy, plus nine months, that gives you six plus nine is, right, 15. 15 months from September, uh, September August, September area puts you right smack in December. So if this is six months and everything works out right, it's actually one of the reasons the Christians settled on December, because we don't really know when Jesus was born. But one of the reasons is from this passage, because this gives us the illusion that if, if we're reading it correctly, that Jesus may well have been born in December. And so if someone bugs you about it, you know the passage now. And those of you who couldn't care less want to move on with the passage. All right, so here we go. Uh, to a city in, in the city, or uh, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, which is barely a town at all, and a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. And, and, and of course, in that era, betrothed means the parents have agreed that they're going to give their children to one another, and, and, uh, and her name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Could you? My daughter Narnia is likely about the age that Mary was. And if you look at one of, our, one of our high school young women or maybe even our, our young college women and, and try to imagine the weight of what would be put on her shoulders. When, when we in ministry look at freshmen and you know, working with crew and young life and say, we believe in you, you can do it. They look at us like, you know, okay. You know, by the time I'm a senior, maybe I can handle that. And here's this young woman who's asked to carry the weight of the world. She was greatly troubled at the saying, like you would be, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Can you imagine? He pauses, her eyes narrow. Huh. And then he goes on. And he said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, 
for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus is um, English, which comes straight from the Greek, which is Jesus, which comes straight from the Aramaic, which is Yeshua. Don't ask me why it changes so much from Aramaic to Greek. You will be bored if I tell you. But it's the name Joshua. It's a common name. Lots of Jesuses, which, by the way, it's still a common name in languages besides English. Um, right? Uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to meet a man who's named Jesus, whose wife is named Mary, and, and, and just see how that all works out as they try to explain to everybody. But in our language, we've kind of set Jesus aside as this holy name only for the, uh, for the Son of God, but it's so common a name, and yet it means he saves. There's an ancient Joshua back in the Hebrew scriptures. If you've heard of Moses, Moses handed the, the baton of leadership off to Joshua, and Joshua is the one who helped lead them into the promised land all the way back maybe 1,300 years before Jesus. And it's this name of this that reckons saving, but also in the Hebrew mind, the one who brought us into the promised land. And it says that he'll be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. You guys heard it in the, in the, um, the Advent reading today. Did you catch it even in some of the lines that we sang, that the government will rest on his shoulders? And we sing these Christmas lines, and I'm hoping today that I can give you a sense of the magnitude of what that might mean. I'm hoping today, is, as we come out of here, that you might feel how profoundly humanity needs a king. I was uh, hanging out with my friend uh, Jeff. Is Jeff here? I don't see Jeff. He hung out with me this week, but he's not here. And so we'll talk about him behind his back now. And, uh, and, and he said to me, he's like, you know, I wonder how much more this passage made sense to all of humanity before we began the American de democratic experiment. Everybody had kings. They were used to kings. And, uh, and, and here we are, and we kind of rule ourselves, and, and uh, we, we kind of said, you know, like in uh, Lord of the Rings, Gondor needs no king. Well, America needs no king, and that's us. <laughs> I don't really ever have put those together before, but now I feel it. We're like Boromir, America needs no king. Okay, and that's kind of how we, we live out our days. We really are our own kings. But you catch that picture where my, Jeff, my friend Jeff, my Jeff, my friend Jeff was saying, if we had kings, we would get a sense of what it was. And I find that somewhat distressing in the same way that when we try to talk about our father God, many of us feel like our dad's messed up the picture so much we don't know how to deal with God as father. And, and you, draw the, uh, you draw out the question, which one's the real and which one's the illusion? In other words, uh, Let's say you were single and I, and I wanted you to, to date my friend. And I'm like, oh, yeah, my friend's really nice. And you're like, oh, that doesn't sound good. No, 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 I'll draw a picture of him for you. And so I, I take out my magic marker and a, and a piece of paper and I draw a picture and say, see, this is what they look like. <laughs> and you might look at that picture and say, well, that looks ugly. Therefore, your friend must be ugly. But if my picture is bad, it really hasn't said anything about my friend, does it, right? And in the same way that, that our bad fathers, and some of us, I mean, my dad was a, he's a, loved me and he was very proud of me. And so it wasn't all too difficult for me to imagine a loving father God. But for some of you, I know that's profoundly difficult, right? To imagine God is the good father and your dad messed up the picture. He drew a bad picture of real fatherhood. 
Well, in the same way, I imagine many people throughout the centuries have struggled to see a picture of King Jesus because they had bad kings, and those kings were just drawings of real kingship. But really, humanity together forms a kingship. We actually, more than you think about it, we reckon ourselves as a we. When we start to talk about global warming, and I get it, some of you might be like, it is, it isn't. We're not even going to play in those games. Other than to say, we don't think of it as a thing that that person over there did, or how dare you, global, the warming. No, it's a we. Check out this picture. This is, um, this is the garbage patch in the Pacific Ocean. It's said to be about the size of Texas. Plastic just floating in the ocean. We're making a whole new continent out of there. Sometimes you'll see pictures, I, I was, when I was looking for a picture, of people sitting in lawn chairs on it. Just we did that. That is the common kingship of us, together as a race. This next picture is a little more difficult, but it's important to see. This is, uh, when I was in grad school, I did a lot of work on this, and study after study keeps showing that these numbers are about correct. But one in six boys and about one in four girls will experience some form of sexual abuse before they come to adulthood. It's not a minor problem. It's not a thing hanging out in the corner because only a few, a few bad apples are spoiling the whole bunch. It's nothing like that at all. These are the kind of numbers that are brought about by a sick people. And I'm hoping it's not you, and I'm hoping that that's not part of what you've brought in, but even if you have, you're one of us. This is part of the problem of us. How about this picture? You see those little countries? Well, Canada, a few of the Scandinavian countries, those are the ones who are currently not at war in some way right now, who don't have soldiers fighting somewhere in the world. Now, you might be thinking, hold on, because there's not battles going on all over the world, because frankly, we've actually just sort of sent our soldiers to some of the major hotspots where they're fighting. But that only plays my thesis a little bit further, doesn't it? Because there's some fighting in the Middle East and in some in Mexico and a few other places in the world right now. But all of us, except for those Canadians, <laughs> all of us are fighting the fight. It's a we. We have a common kingship. And so when, when Mary was, was being told, hey, there's going to be one who's king over all of that, she has the ability to look and say, the kingship of man, the kingship of humanity has not gone so well. And even when we start to look at our personal lives, this, this next slide, when I, uh, when I saw it up earlier, I apologize for how poorly it is to read. This was the header for an article, how consumerism and materialism of modern society makes us unhappy, lonely, and unconfident. And in the articles, there's links to five different major studies, longitudinal studies. A longitudinal study means that they went for a long time. They didn't just sort of do a quick study. But one of the studies followed people as far as 16 years. So major studies, really trying to figure it out. And the more we believe that getting stuff will make us happy, the more unhappy, lonely, unconfident, and then moving on to the next slide, more depression, more anxiety. These are at an all-time high right now. Our kingship is not going so well. And it's not just a, a current thing. I know that sometimes we look back to the past and try to think that there was some halcyon day where humanity was great, but I think we all know. It's generally gone poorly. Humanity has a vicious, cruel, hurtful, damaging story. And not just to one another, but even to the planet to which we were given governance. We have not done a great job. And so when Mary heard this, when, it, when he said to her, uh, 
<laughs> sorry, you'll be, the, this one's going to be great, and the, and the Son of the Most High, and, and his kingdom will have no end. For Mary, it was not just what we sometimes imagine that the Jews were waiting for a Messiah to save them from Rome. Actually, we know that, and you'll catch it sometimes in the scripture when the Pharisees will say things about the kingdom of God. This notion that Jesus was talking about God's rulership was bigger than just the Jews. They really believed that their operational role in creation was that if they could just have the right king, they could extend rightness and righteousness across the globe. The Jewish missionary movements had actually gone out long before the Christians. It's one of the reasons Christianity could spread so easily because when the Christians came to a new town, there was a synagogue there too where they could begin to say, hey, Jesus is Messiah. This is a... They were not just waiting for a savior from Rome. They really believed there could be one who could make all of earth correctly ruled. But check out this line in here. It says um, that he will be given the throne of his father, David. Maybe you've heard of David, David and Goliath pulled out a slingshot, knocked down a giant, became the king. And sometime after David became king, this is actually right around 1000 BC. So it's been a millennium before Mary heard these words. Uh, the prophet Nathan came to David and said this. He said, uh, um, go ahead. Uh, I'm having trouble. The words are small for me to read on that little one. There we go. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. So the prophet's saying this to David. I will raise up from your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And there's a few lines in there. And then he says, and, and your house, David, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Long ago, there was a Jewish king named David. And David brought the tribes of Israel together. And, and he really helped them uh, move toward building the temple and getting, getting all the people to begin to turn toward God. And David had this dream that his son Solomon would actually build the temple and that there would be this reign of kings who would do the job, who were gonna be the ones who would bring the people of Israel into following God. And then this, this reign of righteousness would spread across planet Earth. And... <laughs> The, uh, the couple dozen of you who are reading through the Bible with me, we just finished the history of the kings. And right now, all of them are depressed because there were, were about 20 kings in the line of David who sat on the throne. And about half of them were miserable. Some of them actually brought child sacrifice into the temple complex and, and all sorts of horrors across Jerusalem. There's one king named Manasseh who it was said of him that he spread enough innocent blood, read child sacrifice, to cover Jerusalem in blood and to end the horrors of the kings of David are so depressing. And it fell apart. And in 578 BC, Nebuchadnezzar the Babylonian sacked Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. And since that time, there has never been a descendant of David who has been enthroned over the people of Israel. Even Israelis today, there's not, it's not like they've got their, their David descendant seated on a throne, right? But as it was falling apart, because this is, this is the thing that Mary would have felt so distinctly. She remembers the hope of her ancestor, David, and she's a descendant of David. But that was, that was 10 centuries before. And she knows across those next four centuries, it fell apart in every single way. And that for six centuries almost, her people had been under the reign of, the, of first the Babylonians, and then the Persians, and then the Greeks, and now the Romans, that they have continued to be just shoved under and shoved under. And it's not just that they're waiting for freedom from these empires. It's how is God ever going to fix this? But long ago, 
right around uh, maybe about 660 BC, the prophet Isaiah wrote this. He said, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse is David's father. Jesse never was king. His, his son David was the first in this dynasty. And so there's this poetry to the idea that all of David's line was falling apart when Isaiah wrote it. It hadn't completely fallen apart. But even as he's prophesying it, Isaiah feels the destruction of the line of David. And he knows it's, it's collapsing. And, and he prophesies that there's going to be one who's going to come from this cut down stump. Have you guys ever seen that, like, where you cut down a tree and then you leave it out and then, like, a sapling grows and then it sort of becomes like a weird bush thing for a while? Right? That's what he's picturing. There would become one. Only in this picture, instead of just, like, the weird saplings that grow into a bush, something miraculous is going to happen. He says that one's going to come from his roots and it will bear fruit. And, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding and the spirit of counsel and might and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This is not a king who's going to rule for himself. This is not a king who's going to take power and try to make himself great. It's a king who's going to see his crown to be his opportunity to bring justice and goodness and righteousness to the world. It's the hope of this king that he'll rule rightly. And this king's delight will be in the fear of the Lord. And then Isaiah continues on and says this. This king will not judge by what his eyes see or, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and he'll decide with equity for the meek of the earth. In other words, he won't be some capricious king who does whatever he wants, but that he's going to rule righteously, that it's going to work. And he'll strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. See, when we sang that song where it said he didn't come with a guard and with uh, swords and everything else like that and the robe, but instead born utterly vulnerable. And the only words that this king, or only weapon this king's going to use to fix the world, world is his mouth, his words. Think about how much we try to use our weapons to fix the world, right? And here's this king who knows how to use the words to change the world. Righteousness will be the belt of his waist and faithfulness is belt. And then there's this great line. <laughs> the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. We need to stop for a moment because many of us have heard that what's going to lie down with the lamb? The lion, right? <laughs> this drove me nuts this week because I actually know that it's the wolf and the lamb, but I don't know where the lion and the lamb came from. I did as much work as I could. There's, there's allusions to lion and the lamb in English going all the way back to the early 1800s. But I don't know where the mistake came from, and it drives me crazy. I even put it on Facebook, hoping one of my theological friends. I don't know where the mistake came. I know that if you <laughs> search it for yourself, what you will mostly find, this is what makes the internet such a great place. You're mostly going to find people who believe that the CERN Collider made a new timeline, and in the old timeline, that it was the lion and the lamb, and that it changed our Bibles. <laughs> I kid you not. They really, 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 really believe it no matter how many copies of old Bibles you can show them that says wolf and the lamb. So I don't know where it came from. So if it's bugging you, just go ahead and blame the certain collider and the Mandela effect. But the rest of us will be rational. And we'll say this, uh, that the, the wolf will lay down with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat and the calf with the, with the lion. There's the lion finally. And the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. Now there's two ways to look at this uh, that the commentators throw out. One looks at how often Old Testament references the reigns of all these, these empires around them in terms of uh, ver ferocious animals. Babylon, like a ferocious lion, and Persia, like a, a bear or whatever. 
And so one of the ways that it gets looked at is to say that all of these kingdoms that are reigning, and think of how it works in your world. You got Putin and you've got all these people and us and, 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 and ISIS's and, and, and movements and ferocious lions devouring people everywhere. And this king is supposed to make them lie all down together. There's something about his rule that is supposed to, and by the way, the little child picture brings us to Christmas, that there would be the sort of king who whatever his kingship was, a child was going to be the one who would accomplish it. Mary knew the prophecies. We, I mean, we don't know for sure because she doesn't quote them. And yet, even when you read the Magnificat and read Mary's response, you can see her longing and hope that the deliverer, the son of David would come. And the thought that it could come through her is probably blowing her mind. But she's been dreaming of it because the prophets told us that God was going to give us a king who could fix it. So back to Mary and the angel said, and she said to the angel, how's this going to be? I'm a virgin. You guys know the problem here, and she knows the problem. And, and the angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, uh, the child born to you will be called holy. Many of us have learned about the virgin birth, and it can be difficult to imagine, and uh, we don't need anything profane as to imagine something like Zeus appearing to a virgin and, and copulating. Just God's miraculously going to accomplish it. He's going to accomplish it. But there's a reason it's super important. Because remember I kept saying, we have done it. We are a race. We, according to the scripture, um, I'll finish reading this passage so, uh, before we move on. So the, the most high will overshadow you and the, and the child will be born uh, and we called holy, the son of God. And, and behold, your relative Elizabeth, this is what had been talked about in the chapter before, in, in her old age has conceived a son. So if Elizabeth could conceive a son, come on, God, I can fix these things. And, and, this is, uh, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord, and let it be to me according to your word. Why does it need to be a virgin birth? The answer comes because we fell as a race. Here's a little line from Romans that may help you see this. This is uh, the Apostle Paul talking to the Romans, where he said, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, we know Adam and Eve fell, and we know that we come into this world, and us parents, we know that our children aren't born sinless. They're born innocent in the sense that they, they aren't going, I know it's a sin, but I'm doing it anyway, mom and dad. But they're born with this broken, self-centered heart that we were born with that, that desperately needs to serve self. And, and as they come of age, they come to learn that it's wrong, but they still do it anyway. Uh, if you're not a parent yet, oh, it's coming. You know, all parents joke, no one ever teaches kids the word mine. It, it, it's like it, it, it manifests from them. We try to teach them words like share. We got to work hard on share, right? Mine, no work at all, right? And, and he says, through this one man, and but then he says, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free, risk, uh, free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? In other words, we're not a bunch of individuals who fell, a bunch of individual kings. There's something about us that's an us, that's a we. And we fell, and through one, we can be redeemed. But that one who came could not come from the line of Adam, or he would be part of the fallen race. And so when, when God produces a child through Mary, this child is born with a new start, a new ability, a new way to bring all of righteousness to us. And that we, 
through spiritual death and spiritual resurrection might join him. That's what Romans says. This picture of Christmas that we're starting into, it begins with a young woman, I mean young, trying to figure out all these things and just saying to God, if you want it to be done, I'll do it. And God through her begins a mystery that changed the world. So I have this. This is um, from the author Dallas Willard. And, I, and we'll look at the four questions, but I want you to see the last one. He says there's four questions that are determining everything that you think about life. The first is, what do you think is reality? Is there a God? Is there not a God? How does reality work? Then the next question, and you're asking this question all the time, and we talk about it, who's well off or who, who has well-being? Who's the blessed one? Who has the good life, right? We talk about this a lot. And then, of course, who is the truly good person? Because the good person is the one who's able to bring that well-being to others, right? When you think of a good person, you don't just think of them as moral. You think of how they affect you and others. But this last question, because I can tell you honestly, you ever, you ever heard that most religions say the same thing? Although I don't think they all answer the first question the same. The reason we feel it is most religions have figured out that not lying, not stealing, not killing, and not hurting with each other, and generally treating each other well, and do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, and all those things, all the things that make a person a good person, most of them agree. Now, there's some niggling points about this one or that one, but by and large, we tend to agree. You're not going to find the uh, pro-murder religion, right? <laughs> or, or who's going to follow it? But this last question. Look at this question. How does one become the actually good person? Have you felt that problem in your life? Have you felt the problem where we search and we, and we try to press our hearts forward and, and we have this picture of the good life? I have a really good me in my head who I want to be and he doesn't fail and, and he's perfectly delightful and charming and caring and, and, and sees all the hurts and knows how to meet all of them and, and, he, and he's perfect father to his children and a loving husband to his, I have that me. I just, you know, never reach him exactly. So is that it? Is that it? Do we just all look and say, what's the point? You know, we say, well, no one's perfect and then haul off and treat each other terribly. Or do we really believe that there's some way that we can be being changed? Is there a way that God could, through his governance, begin to reach into our hearts and not just force us to act like good, but actually grow us up, change our hearts, and cause us to be the good? Is that possible? Because this is the mystery of the baby in the manger. This is the whole point. I love Seriously, I love all the, I love, I love the red and green together for one month after that, it's out. And, and I love the, I love eggnog. If you don't like eggnog, it's, there's probably something wrong with you. And I love Christmas presents and I love giving the gifts and I love, I love kids like tearing, throwing paper everywhere. And, and I, uh, because I have a sister who has 12 kids, she's crazy. And then uh, brothers and sisters, well, there's lots of grandkids. And so when everyone's at my parents' house and there's like, I don't know, 20 some grandkids all like, about it's the best okay <laughs> I love all of it but in my heart the driver the engine the thing that sits underneath it is the mystery of the king who was born utterly vulnerable the king who didn't choose swords and power and overwhelming and 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 all the might that the kings of this world the like bad dads, they're bad kings. They don't show it off. A king who would show us by the strength of his power and by the power of his Holy Spirit who we really could be 
all of this meets us here at Christmas. So this is the verdict for all of it. It says that God loved us so much. He looked on this broken, rebellious world with kings piling on top of kings and wars and rumors of war. And even in this day when this little child was born, Caesar had enforced the Pax Romana, <laughs> peace by the sword. Oh, yeah, that's, that's the good one. And they thought that that peace was going to last forever. The Roman peace did not. God loved that world, us broken ones, so much that he gave his only son. And we usually think about him on the cross, of course, and we're going to take communion in a moment. But it's Christmas time, and I want us to think, even for a moment, about the one who would become flesh and blood. When we take communion, you know, he, he gave that, the bread and, and, and the wine to his disciples and said, this is my body and this is my blood broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me, this is the thing we're going to do. It's his actual body. He had to be born to become one of us, to give us a full humanity to be crucified. That's the son he gave. That whoever believes on him, places their faith on him, not believes in him in the sense of like, oh yeah, I think that's real. Belief doesn't matter if it doesn't cost you something. In other words, I could believe that Djibouti is the capital of Djibouti, because it is, as far as I know. But that's just a belief. It means nothing. But if I'm on the show Jeopardy, and then the, you know, it's, uh, the answer is Djibouti. Now I got to ask a question. Puff. What is the capital of Djibouti? Right? You got to get it right. At that moment, you see with money on the line or something on the line, maybe it's final jeopardy and I've bet whatever. Now that's believing on it, right? There's, there's some cost to me. In the same way, and actually so much more though, so than jeopardy, in the same way, he doesn't mean believe in Jesus in some intellectual sense. He means believe on him in some sense that you've placed your weight. That if it's not true, if it breaks underneath you, that you fall down that you would place the kingship of your life underneath his throne. You realize every time I sin, it's my way of saying, I don't trust your kingship, Jesus. I don't think you've got the good life. I don't think you understand how to do it. In this moment, Jesus, my anger, my rage, my bitterness, my hatred, all of those things will work way better. Those will fix the world, Jesus. Your dumb child in a manger doesn't work. So every one of my sins says it and embarrasses me because I'm calling God dumb. But God so loved me and you and us that even in the middle of all that, that when we believe on him, that he would begin to produce his kingdom in us and produce eternal life. Man, I want you guys to come up. Today we're going to take communion. And, and as always, we, we say this. This is, a, this is a sacred celebration of the Christians. For those who actually have placed their belief on Jesus, who would, who would say, Jesus, when I die, I expect on account of your cross and your resurrection that you have eternal life through me. And, and even today, when I face all these broken deaths, I'm learning how to trust that as I allow myself to be a sacrifice, you're producing life in me. And I, when we gather together, I know that there are some here who are like, I don't know about Jesus. I'm not sure. I'm still trying to figure it out. And in that moment, I, I want to let you know, and we say this every time because it's so important, we consider it a badge of honor that you would observe, that you would have the, the, um, the honor to say, hey, look, you know, I, I get it. I just love watching it and I'm still figuring out Jesus and I'm okay there. 
Or maybe because the, the, the Bible does talk about this. Maybe you are a Christian. You've been baptized. You're, you're one of his, I guess. I, not I guess. That was terrible to say. But today, your heart is filled with rage and malice and unforgiveness. And maybe today, you're, you're saying it's unfit to take communion. I have relationships that I probably really need to repair before I'm one who should take it. And in which case, we also consider that a badge of honor. No one's looking sideways going, what's with that person wired? That's not us. God loves us so much. He lets us be where we are. But as we move toward him, he can resurrect. And so today, as we move forward to communion, we ask that you would come and take the symbols of the body and the blood of Jesus in remembrance of not just that he died and rose again, but even that he should become one of us. Thanks. So there's this um, horrible part of doing church together in Bowling Green. Um, I'll explain it this way. When um, Dang it, I'm a... When Sandy and I came to, I don't cry, I don't care. When Sandy and I came to Bowling Green in 2000, um, we started, a, you know, we were working for crew, the, the campus ministry, and, and, and we got sent over to Harshman. Um, that was probably pretty much the end of that building right, right there. To, to start a Bible study, and it was a hard year um, for so many reasons. But there was this one piece of promise. Uh, there was a freshman guy who joined my group who I uh, almost instantly became really good friends with. And, and uh, he was the sort, you know, when you have some people who you're like, if I could just get them to, to try to lead. But there's the other ones who are like, they can't help but leading. It's just a question of whether they're going to make a mess or they're going to build amazing things. And, and the, the potential and, and power in this young man's life was overwhelming. And, and of course, I love that. And we would, became very good friends. And, and years later, when Amy and I were leading crew, he was part of our staff team. And when it came time, for us to uh, be done leading crew, for Amy having yet another child, was just enough that she felt she couldn't. Me, I was inept. I leading crew was too much. Amy was brilliant, you know. But uh, I knew exactly who I needed to give this baton to. I even made a baton. I got a piece of wood. I, I carved it for him. Because I wanted him to understand that there was something being handed to him. And he's been leading crew for these many years. But uh, that's a young man's game. It's tough. You require incredible amounts of energy. And, way too many evenings out. And God's been putting out of his heart for a long time to step into church ministry. And when our friends across town in, uh, at Bowling Green Covenant knew they wanted to, I think it's going to be family life pastor. Why don't you guys come up? You know it's you. Um, yeah. And then there's my friend Allie, who I met in those years. And, and my, my, my friend Nick starts dating this girl and instantly you have one of those feelings like, yeah, she's actually probably too good a person for you. Really? Uh, I mean that. And, and if you guys know Allie and if you know Nick, you know exactly what I'm talking about. These people who have served with us and given their life and not just their time, but their very life being, the, the, the goodness of themselves has passed into, I can't even tell you how many of us. And so for us to send them across town because this is a great, great use of his leadership. And I'm so proud because I still know him as this young guy, you know? He had hair. We had hair. I had hair. He had hair. And uh, guys, we love you so much. And I mean, friend, you know what we've done together. So elders, wives, uh, crew staff, if you want. We want to come up. We want to send. This is the problem of being in Bowling Green. We're always sending our friends away to do amazing stuff everywhere. I, 
I've lost track of how many churches now have pastors of one sort and another who uh, God raised up here, and we love you. We are proud of you. We know exactly the work the Holy Spirit has put on your heart and soul and what he's going to do. And so we're intensely proud to send you off. Yeah, come into the light. That's like a spiritual metaphor. Uh, yeah, there you go. Um, we're going to pray to send them off. Thank you for being, if you're maybe newer, we have to do this so often. Uh, so many men and women who, you know, it's a college town. They, 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 they and it's so many places. And we're so proud. So, um, I'll pray to start us, and then you guys can pray if you'd like to with us. But our Father in heaven, your name is great. And this kingdom that you have built and is spreading all across the earth, and it is in crazy places like Brazil and China and, and, and probably even in Djibouti, I'm certain. And that you would allow us in this corner of the West to serve you and love you and, and, and to be building your kingdom. We are grateful and we are honored. And Father, I'm so thankful for my friendship with Nick and Allie and, and who they have become, the family that they raised, the way they approach life, the goodness and the uh, unwaveringness about their hearts. So many hearts weak and, and shake, and these ones don't. They just don't move. So filled with life and, and longing to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we ask that they would mature and grow and keep growing and all the more become like the image of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And through their ministry over there, that our churches would knit closer together and our hearts would knit closer together. And Father, we ask, as always, that men and women who don't know the grace and love of Jesus Christ would find it even through the lives of these two. God, we're so grateful that you did not call them to Montana. Yeah. Father, we ask all these things and more in your name.
Thank you for our friends. And thank you that, as Sandy said, it's just cross town. God bless Nick and Allie. Thank you. Amen. So unfortunately, I got to follow that up. Um, <laughs> we also um, step into the light, yes. Um, so thank you guys. I know we're short on time, but just a couple quick announcements. So next Sunday, uh, December 9th, um, as most of you know, uh, we are going to have a congregational vote. Um, and what we're voting on is whether or not to sort of install Steve Risky as the lead teaching, wherever went, lead teaching pastor here at Brookside. Um, the way that's gonna go, uh, just a couple logistics, there's, there's actually gonna be two ways you guys can vote. Um, the first way is there is an email that went out, I think during service, so you might actually have it already. If not, you'll have it you know, when you get home and check your email from Aaron. So you can either come next Sunday and we will vote after service um, in a room, uh, probably one of the rooms across the hall or whatever, um, and that will be an, uh, an anonymous paper ballot. Um, the other way you can vote is um, if you can't be here next Sunday, or if you just want to vote early, uh, you, you can vote through email. So, um, now obviously that won't be anonymous, uh, but it will be anonymous only to uh, Keith Limes and Aaron Kessler. So they will be the only two that will be receiving those. Um, and you can do that in response to the email that went out today. So those are kind of the two things. Um, so we're looking forward to it. Um, I'm kind of excited that it's here. Um, I, I want to thank you guys for kind of journeying with us um, through the last eight months or so, um, and, and just, uh, I thought we had, a, uh, I thought the journey went well, and I enjoyed, you know, the congregational meetings we had, and I'm just so proud of, like, our church and the way that we approach things, and so I'm excited to see what God's going to do in the future.